Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of your besties podcast, Dear Bear Book Club. I'm Kirsty, and I'm Nikki. Yay! And that never gets less awkward. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, I can't. I always forget to introduce myself too, so it's a good thing that you remember. Yeah, because I never remember. To I don't think I'm myself. consistent because sometimes I think I introduce you. Um, mm, yeah, I know. I think it was me that one time. That one time I was like, oh, okay. "And that's Kirsty," and you're like, "Oh, and that's Nikki." <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Yep. Um. Yeah. I don't really. They should really give a class on how to uh, start a podcast because I feel like it's never good. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Hey. Hi. <laughs> How's everybody's week? Uh, this is a podcast where we read books and then we talk about them and tell you whether you should read them or not. Yeah. Um. So, Kirsty, you were reliving your youth this week or last week, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So we had <laughs> family visiting and uh, reliving my youth last week where I drank beer and alcohol pretty much every single day um it was obscene clearly the lifestyle between like people who are like 25 and 27 compared to a 29 year old is vastly different because i was hurting like Mm. two days last week i was like screw this and one of the days that i was hungover was the day that my plumbing system in my apartment decided to implode oh my god i forgot about that (laughs) So I was like dealing with poop water no. while hungover. Mm. It was not the best situation. And where were you supposed to throw up? Well, yeah, I, thankfully I wasn't that bad. Um, but yeah. I would have just fertilized the plants outside if that was the case. Um, <laughs> but I had a speedy Uber at one point to go get breakfast because I had not yet gone to the bathroom. So um, <sighs> me and my soon-to-be sister-in-law were whisking ourselves off to have breakfast um so we could use the facilities which was swell and then in the evening i stayed home that day to help with the plumbing situation and when i say help i laid on the couch and listened to a book um (laughs) and and slept um but at one point my landlord um did take me to tim horton so i could also go pee so it was a day of not drinking a lot of fluids because I did not know when I could get to a bathroom at the ideal time. Oh. So this is when, like, you know, sometimes being a woman is great. Not having a hose attached to my body, less <laughs> happy with that. Um, yeah, I'll say. Uh, yeah. But, is... yeah, you know, and drinking beer every day, like, you know, it was fun. And I found some beers that I actually liked. Um which oh, wow. I don't That's really good. like beer, so yeah, it was a fun week. Um, I love having people, and then I was just like, "Who can we now convince to come back in my time that I have in BC?" It'll be the same when you come here. This is true, and I'm preparing my liver for it. To be honest, yeah. Although, like when we went to the island, when we had the trip on the island, it was only two full days. But like even then, I was like, I got so drunk the night of my birthday, mm-hmm. and then the next day, I was like fuck that like i can't also we were in filthy moods because of the evan hole um (laughs) (laughs) okay i don't think that we've told that story on this podcast (laughs) 
So just to be clear, Kirsty is not talking about any of the holes on my husband's body. <laughs> I'm just gonna put. I'm just gonna put that out there. Oh, sorry, it's just become such a colloquial term between us that oh, I like forgot that God. it wasn't a thing that people didn't know about. Well, um, I think I was the only one that was in a foul mood because I was the one who booked the like Airbnb and I was so fucking stressed about like putting a hole in this nice. So here's the story. When we had our last hurrah in BC on the island, it ha- also happened to be my birthday. We got this beautiful like Airbnb house. It was like a cottage on a lake. It was incredible. There was like a million bedrooms. And a hot tub. There was this beautiful dock that went out into the lake that had like millionaire vibes about it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. It was like this beautiful, oh, sure. like it had a fire pit at the end of the dock. It was so lovely. <sighs> and we were like, how so did we nice. find this place? I don't know, because it wasn't really that expensive, no. to be honest. Once we split it between like a like yeah. a few couples. And I think it's because they're not available during the on season. Like they mm. use it for their own personal use during July and August. Yeah. But um yeah. So we partied it up for Nikki's birthday. We also did like a drunk history night and there was a hot tub, we had a fire pit and everything. So we were like having a grand old time. I drunk tweeted Derek Waters actually that night. The next morning I deleted it because I was so embarrassed about like, <laughs> oh my drunk God. tweeting yeah. it. Because also, I just want to say that I think I'm a little bit in love with Derek Waters and I don't really know why. I don't know. He just like, I just think he's cute and like... <laughs> I'm not looking him up. He's so... F- He's so funny, and I just like to have the idea to have a show called Drunk History. I just think it's the best. So, like, I he's probably on my list of people that I would do if Evan, if I ever had the chance. Not my vibe, I'm gonna say. <laughs> I know he's not usually my vibe either, but I just I don't know. I guess it's just the funny guys that I go for. <laughs> sure, anyway, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> it, it was a great night. Like, ugh, it was so great to see Stu and Cass and Hugh but then also there was a lot going on on that that trip yeah no no I'm saying Stu and Cass were there and Hugh and remember when I was holding him I was holding Hugh while while Cass very generously made dinner the one day Mm -hmm. and I was holding him and I was like bouncing around whatever doing you know hanging out with a baby and Evan comes over and like hug like puts his arms around me with the baby in my arms and Hugh, this little bugger, looks up at him, looks him dead in the eye, and is like, Dada! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. And Stu was like, fine with it. He was like, yeah, everything's Dada, but like, Evan, I could see, like, the neurons firing in his brain, like... Instead of dollar signs, it was like... Rattles baby rattles yeah the baby fever was like at max capacity the baby fever was palpable that weekend (laughs) because hugh is a trap baby i'm sorry hugh is a trap baby my my niece is also a trap baby they're perfect babies and they make you think that you can have a baby but your baby will never be as good as those babies anyway i've gotten so off topic so we got rip roaring drunk the first night we're there everybody's wasted i'm pretty sure except cass she was pregnant (laughs) Poor, yeah. poor Cass. And Hugh. And Hugh. Because he's warm. Yes. <laughs> um, and so me and Evan go to bed after having a very long discussion about how we should not have a baby yet. And like, apparently it was only like 20 minutes in 
to us like going to bed because you said you heard it. Yeah. Okay. So in this house, the bedroom that me and Joseph were staying in was directly below Nikki and Evans. So I hear <laughs> this like thud and was just like, all right, they're having a good time. Nikki's getting her birthday treats oh my God. right now. So embarrassing. And, but it turns out it was just Evan taking a hard tumble out of the bed, a hard drunken tumble out of the bed, so much so that he created a hole in the wall. Like such a big hole. Like through the drywall. <sighs> just caved in a section of the wall and it was because no like because we for some reason switched sides of the bed i don't know why evan thinks it's because there was a nightstand on the one side and he says he was being Mm -hmm. chivalrous to give me to give me the nightstand but i honestly think Uh that i just got into bed and i was drunk and i didn't think about it so Uh he says it's because he was on the wrong side of the bed so he went to because he like god love the man but like what the fuck is wrong with him in a good way because he can i don't like i'll be talking to him one second and then the next second he's asleep he can he can fall asleep in five seconds and then he just stays asleep he stays asleep for eight hours and he wakes up after his eight hours is done and he's like fresh as a bird and i'm like how how do you do that i want your life like i just want to be able to have like a full eight hour sleep and like not wake up Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's because he, like, is such a dead sleeper that he, like, will he just rolls around in his sleep and doesn't, like, wake up. Yeah. So he thought that he was sleeping on the right side of the bed and, like, rolled off the bed, but the wall was right there. So he rolled directly into the wall. And then he had a giant bruise along his thigh for, like, a good month, probably month and a half. Yeah. <sighs> God. And then, yeah. But it was one of those funny things because the next morning I was um, like doing an online class at the time. So I like went and did my online class the next morning and I kept hearing like snippets of people talking and being like the Evan hole. <laughs> and I was like, what are people talking about? Because it was coined very quickly in our like the group of friends that was there that that's what it was called. Um, and I was like, what are people talking about? And <sighs> I thought, see, like when you snuggle in a blanket and people like make like their little like... <laughs> yeah hole that they peer out of (laughs) i thought that that's what they were talking about i thought evan was still cocooned in bed and had made himself (laughs) this like little hole that he was like sticking his head out i wish and then i saw it and was like oh dear yeah so yeah yeah the next morning we had everybody because like literally it happened and i like shot up in bed because i was like what the fuck was that and i saw it and i was like i was trying to think in my drunk addled brain if i that was there before we went to bed but i knew i knew even then that it wasn't and i was like i just i just like literally like laid back down and went to sleep and then (laughs) the next morning i was like kind of in and out of sleep like fucking hungover as fuck and i heard evan (laughs) i heard him like watching videos about how to fix drywall Oh my god. Oh god. I mean, it yeah. ended up being fine. If we had been there longer, we probably could have just fixed it ourselves. But um, it ended up being fine. Like, I messaged, like, I, but it did kind of like t- tamper the rest of the weekend for me. But I, like, met, I messaged the lady. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm sure she didn't believe me that, like, he was, he just fell out of bed. She probably thought he was drunk and, like, kicked a hole in the wall or something. Mm-hmm. But, well, I was drunk, but <laughs> yeah, it was complete. 
by accident mm-hmm. and we paid for it i think she she gouged me a bit but she and so she took like whatever the d- damage deposit would have been 750 dollars, and then i think she ended up returning mm-hmm. like 300 or something like that oh god yeah that was the time uh i don't remember how we got onto this conversation but i don't remember either i mentioned Ev- oh the we were talking then... about like drinking every day <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's the last time that we would have been together to, like, or we would have mm-hmm. drank, like, consecutively. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh, my. But also, on that trip was our dear friend, Jordan, who we mentioned last time about the fact that we we only have, like, two male followers that we know of, and that's our husbands, and we forgot that there we have, like, this extra little slice in our lives, <laughs> who is Jordan, <laughs> And, and we he- forgot to mention him, and he was pissed. Yeah. So, so this is your is. shout out, Jordan. Yeah. We didn't forget you. And also, he has been very helpful with sound technical advice as well. He's the one who told me yeah. to hang up all of these blankets, which I didn't hang up this time. So I'm sorry if the audio quality is bad this time. <laughs> but I'm trying to test it out to see if it was just the mic issue, Jordan. That's what yeah. I'm doing. So this is specifically for you. If it's bad, you can tell me. So yeah. there you go. Shout out to Jordan. Um, and also shout out, we because we now have more episodes out, we can actually see more stats. Yeah. So we're seeing that people, there's somebody in, what was it, Ashburn, Virginia? That has the second um, most downloads. Well, I don't know if it's yeah. one person. Maybe it's multiple people. It doesn't say. Maybe multiple people. Um, we have a huge following Re- in Ashburn, apparently. Yeah. And Regina, oh, well. obviously, because you live there. That's like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's that people who are driving us in Brussels. Yeah, here for you. There's a couple people we've had in Australia, and there was somebody in Manila in the Philippines. One in Switzerland, and there was one in Italy yep. that just popped up today. Yeah, oh my God. and quite a few like around the Edinburgh region. So yeah, super exciting. We thank um, you so much for listening, great. all yeah. of you. I love it. It's so yeah, exciting. It's, it's so weird exciting. to think that like. People across the world. Our little voices are, yeah. being, are being heard people by people. across the world. But I honestly wonder if it is because of Eleanor Oliphant. Potentially. And I and wonder if we have to apologize. I have to say, I'm really sorry. You know, sometimes books just aren't for us. And we've had a lot of people be like, oh my god, I'm so excited you're doing this book. It's my favorite book. And we're sitting there like, mm, oh dear. We we, like it. it was not for us. But, you know, there is, like, a significant amount on Goodreads of people who didn't like it. So we're just those few people. Yeah. They're... And you know what? There's sometimes books that you just don't like in your life or that it changes throughout time. Because, like, I then messaged my my mom and she was like, oh, I like the book. And I was like, oh, hmm. shit. Well, um, and you know what? But, you know... It's not that I thought it was a bad book. I didn't think it was bad. No. I didn't think it was poorly written or anything like that. Like, even the story mm-hmm. is good. I think it just wasn't... It's not even that it wasn't for me. Maybe, like you said, maybe I just need to come back to it at a different time. But yeah, I don't know. It just was kind of like, I. for me, it was more like, I don't get what the hype is about. Yeah. Because- and that could be it too. Like when we're reading this we've almost like put this book on like a pedestal Mm. so we're thinking oh my god this has to be like the next best thing whereas if we hadn't done that if it was just a book that you picked up and you read then yeah 
because when we look at that like compared to where like a um, beautiful world where are you we like definitely put that on a pedestal but we had a lot of like things before then but again Sally Rooney I love her work I love her writing I'm not I ha- haven't yet finished conversations with friends mm. it wasn't a book for me so you know Gail Honeyman her next book that come out might be the one for yeah. me and you know um, what I would definitely still read her next book because like yeah. I liked it enough that I would would give it a try still yeah <sighs> okay is that all the business out of the way because I'm really fucking excited about this theme <laughs> Mm-hmm. Maybe we should mention at the beginning of what is our um, read along one for next mm. this next yeah, one. We should. So our next read along because m- book my copy is just arrived. Be... <laughs> yeah. Um. So our next read along book is um the No Show by Beth O'Leary, and it is like brand new. Just came out two weeks ago. A week. Uh, a week ago. A week yesterday. A week past Monday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So. so but dates are irrelevant when it comes to a podcast. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it came out like a week well, ago. Well, ours and... anyway, because we record yeah. in advance. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so super pumped to read that. And what's the... Hearing a lot about it on... Release date? So that episode will be coming out on June 9th. We hope that you read along with us, because I'm really yeah. excited to hear what other people have to say, because... Uh, mm-hmm. God. What other people have to say, because yeah. we love Beth I also just started listening... Yeah, and I also just started listening to the audiobook today and loving the fact that like each individual character in the book has a different person mm, speak. That would be very so helpful. So it's like in different intonations. Yeah, because when I've been reading, say, like the Bridgerton novels, they are read by one person mm. where I, yeah. who puts on different accents and like she has like the voice for her man, the voice for the lady. Like it's very like... Um, whereas this, it's completely different. And it's the same as, like, for Beth O'Leary's book, The Switch, they also had two individual people doing that as well. And for the flat chair, because I then looked into it, because I was like, is this a recurring theme? Um, yeah. I didn't check it for the road trip, though. But I'm just presuming that they then have distinctly different people for the two voices, or however many voices there are. But I'm very excited to continue listening and to actually get my hands on the book and read it. Yeah. Um, can't wait. So yeah, but that's coming up soon. Um, so this episode, Nikki, this episode theme has been your theme from the get go. Yeah. You've been yeah. <laughs> desperate to do this yeah. theme, and now we're finally going to do yeah. it. And in all honesty, I think we should do multiple of these oh, yeah. because oh, there'll be more than one of this. It's one. such a good, a good topic. Sure. Um, I think we should definitely do a teenage years edition oh, of this. Fuck yeah! Okay, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. yeah, but for right now, we're doing a current, well, maybe current situation for this book. Um, and I just remembered what you did, and our books are very similar time periods. Now that I think about yeah. it, yeah, um, yeah. So, Nikki, what is the theme for this week's episode? The theme for this week's episode is: Is it good or was I horny? <laughs> Yay! And if we were good at sound effects or anything like that, I would think I would have, like, horns going off here, like, pew, pew, pew! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I do have to give a bit of credit for this theme, because I heard about this from a podcast that I listened to. It's called I Saw What You Did, and it's hosted by Millie DeCherico and Danielle Henderson. Um, they actually review movies. Well, they don't review them. They just, like, I guess they kind of review them. They, like, tell about 
these movies mm-hmm. and they do it based off a theme. So one of the first episodes that I listened to from them was, is it good or was I horny? And they basically took movies from their like childhood or teenage years that they, so the premise of is it good or was I horny is was the movie actually good or were you just horny for one of the characters? So like these movies that they did, they looked back on them and realized they probably weren't actually good. They were just hard up for one of the characters or one of the actors or just, yeah, horny. Um, so we're not we're not here to tell you whether or not like the book is good. Well, yeah, we are. But like it has to be it has it has to make you question if the book is good or if it is just really yeah, sexy and fueling <laughs> your horny little fire. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um so I think I'm going first, right? Um the last one was Eleanor, right? Um so the net, the last one before Eleanor was True Crime. No, it was Potato oh, no. Peel Pie. Oh right, yeah. I think I went first with that. Yeah. yeah so it's you. So first of all, I just want to say I obviously we're we're picking romance novels. Yep. Because romance novels have a lot of sexy times in them. So it's hard to tell whether the book is good or whether it's horny. Yep. But before we get into it, I just have a bit of a soapbox about romance novels. I'm here for this. I hope that you can indulge me a bit because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And here, here's my thing. Women have no acceptable form of porn. Yes. Right? Even romance novels, people look down on romance for you for reading romance novels. And I remember going through a time in my life where it was probably like my early 20s where I was like, you know, I I read a lot of romance. Actually, should I should I go back to the beginning and say how I got into romance novels? So when I was a kid, I feel like I might have told the story actually on the first um, the first podcast. Maybe not. But anyway, when I was a kid, my mom had such a hard time keeping me in books Mm -hmm. that at a certain point she started giving me her own books. So it was like when I was obviously old enough. Yeah. So I would have been like maybe 12 or 13. And she would give me the ones that she thought were appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. But she gave me these books to read over the summer holiday because I was like desperate for books. And I'm reading. I'm re- And it was like, okay, it was like Debbie McComer and Nora Roberts. Classic romance. They have a trillion books. Yeah. Everybody loves them. They're great. I actually think those would be a good one to do for is it good or was I horny? Yeah, just like a traditional like trope. Same as... uh... Or Danielle Steele. Oh my god, yes. I have to do Danielle Steele. Danielle Steele, I think I'm pretty sure is what I saw on my mom's shelf. Yeah, okay, I that's for sure. Next one, I'm gonna do Danielle Steele for sure. Okay, because I read a few of, of those ones too. The, that that was like what my mom read when I was a kid, like Danielle Steele, Debbie McComer, Nora Roberts. That's mm-hmm. what was on rotation for my mom, and so she gave me a few of the ones that she thought were like appropriate enough for me to read, but there were still sex scenes in them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so I read a few of the Nora Roberts. I think that there was a series that I read from Nora Roberts, and. I was like, all of these books have sex scenes in them. Nora Roberts is a like a maniac. Like she's a sex maniac. I can't like I, <laughs> I couldn't fathom as a thirteen year old that people would be having sex this much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my sex education was limited. Limited. I mean, not that it was limited. I had sex education. I went to like you know grade eight. We they talked about our periods, all that bullshit. 
But I didn't know that P went into V until I was like 15. And that was a shock for me. I gotta say. Sorry. Anyway, we should probably cut that out. That's probably really, like, that's probably TMI. But I don't care. You know, you can you can keep it in if you want. It's fine. I, I'm comfortable with myself now. It's great. Anyway. This could be a nightmare to edit. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so that's how I got into romance novels. So then at a certain point, I was like, you know what? I should be reading serious novels. Like, I should be... I shouldn't be reading, like, fluff like that. But there is no acceptable form of porn for women. And I feel like for women, it's not about, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking generally here, but, like, for me at least, it's not about visual stimulation. It's all about what happens in your imagination. Mm -hmm. So romance novels are, like, the perfect way for women to, like, explore what makes them feel good. Yeah. And it's just so fucking annoying to me that not only are we not, like, do is there no pornography made for us, but the one that we do have, which is considered, like, appropriate enough for us to have, it's still looked down upon. Because, like, think about it. There was an entire Friends episode where Joey made fun of Rachel the entire episode for having a romance novel under her mattress. And it's like, how come it's fine for men to watch porn, but it's not fine mm-hmm. for women a woman to have a romance novel in her. Yeah. Like, how is that inappropriate? So I also want to add to this. I also completely agree. I have also been having like a deep dive into the romance genre. And this has <laughs> been like partially fueled by the Bridgerton situation. Because then I was like, well, the second series is coming out on Netflix. So I'm going to watch, I'm going to consume all of these books. So I listened to them all over my spring break which was lovely. And then I bought all of the physical books too because I had like a really good coupon for chapters because it was my birthday month. So, but now like looking through my bookshelf, I can definitely see where there's been like a change in what I've like decided to read. And for a long time, like being in university and things, I think I was like, well, I'm now like, I'm an adult. I need to read (laughs) serious things. And there's certain things and I've loved reading some of them, but I definitely have to be in a certain mood to read them because some of them are really, really heavy topics. Like I I have some Mm. books here about um, like refugees, like moving across borders and like geography changing and then like conflicts that have happened. These are all like heavy topics, but they're more like some of them, a lot of them are nonfiction too. And I felt that there was some sort of shift And that's when I started leaning in towards like memoir type books. And I was like, okay, this is a great shift. I want to start reading more memoirs because I like like reading about other people's lives. And I I feel like as a very like empathetic person, it's it's hard. hard, But I also just like, not that like, I just love listening to people's stories about what they're saying about their lives. And then I think just like, I started following a couple different authors. And then I think maybe just like talking to you as well and how like we started like trading some books back and forth. I started like, delving down like this path and definitely with like the pandemic I was like why am I not reading like I loved reading why am I not reading things that I enjoy so I've definitely been going back down that kind of thing but the the whole thing like with Sally Rooney I had seen the book in so many places for normal people that it was just like one of those things I was like oh well I should probably read this it Mm -hmm. wasn't because I was I know that's really picking to read it now I love her books Mm -hmm. But I wasn't actually, like, picking it because I really wanted to read it. I was more picking it because, well, everybody's reading it. I should read it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now I'm more, like, 
why do I want to read a book? Like, what am I going to derive out of this? So the past couple of weeks, all I have listened to is romance novels. And not to just say that this is like preparing for like anything, because I was preparing for the Bridgerton. I wanted to know all of their stories, but I really did enjoy this deep dive. But because we've also, because with our podcast and things, we've been seeing a lot more like things on Instagram that are more related to books. There's a couple of people I now follow on like my own personal account that have to do with um, like they have like merch that they sell because they love certain books. Like I kept seeing on like um, Instagram reels and TikTok, there's like a particular book series. I don't really think it's for me. It's quite like in the fantasy realm. Um, but I kept seeing like these names, this person who sells some merchandise, she has like mm. the names like emblazoned on different shirts and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. It's got that kind of like, not like Twilight, like Edward versus Jacob thing, but it's definitely like it's- that kind of feel where there's like this small community where there's like a character that you favor and you're definitely wanting to like express like your joy of that. I do also feel like mm-hmm. now as an adult, I'm less keen for that kind of things because I'm like, well, I want to wear my clothes wherever I go. So I'm less like picking things with like emblazoned slogans on stuff. But I also do like them because mm-hmm. in the sense, like if I'm in my little reading space, it would be nice to have like, I don't know, my reading jumper or whatnot. Um, some yeah. that I saw that had to do with smut reading. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't even heard that word in years. Um, smut, yeah. About reading smut. And that's where like, I was like, why are, like, this is such an empowering thing. Why aren't yeah. we like declaring this more often? So like in the past, like, I don't know if you've noticed a change in me, but I've been like, yeah, I'm reading my smut. Yep. Doing all that. <laughs> like, and it's in some ways empowering. So I'm like, why am I not taking control of the thing that I truly love and I'm not saying that yeah. I like want to read all these dirty things all the time. There is a time and a place for it. And sometimes when I've been like on the train, I'm like, oh dear Lord, I cannot be listening to this right now. <laughs> this is like yeah. real steamy. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, why not? Like, I'm not like doing anything explicit on the train. Like, I'm just listening no. to something that's maybe slightly more on the spicy side. And just as long as my headphones don't disconnect from my phone, we're all gravy. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that there's just like this thing. Why are we like saying things? Even like the phrase guilty pleasure. It's not my guilty yeah. pleasure. It's my pleasure. I, I shouldn't feel yeah. any guilt about enjoying this particular genre of books. And now fair enough. Yeah, I'm probably not going to open up to everybody about the fact that like, yeah, this is what I read fairly frequently but you know what why shouldn't i either yeah it's completely normal and you know what people joke like well particularly guys joke like about oh like i don't think i have any friends that really just joke joke about like watching porn because uh, maybe it's just the friend group i have but like that's not my (laughs) friend group and i'm fine with that but there like you said there is no genuinely like acceptable form of that for women so and like this is heavily generalization too but like if this is one small thing why aren't we celebrating it more but i do feel that these both the novels that we have picked for this go are a little bit more on the like why aren't we celebrating these things and i think that yours definitely maybe exemplifies that a little bit more than mine's does but there are parts of mine that i'll talk about that are definitely more like fucking girl power right here and (laughs) i think that those are things to celebrate for sure 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's not even it doesn't it's it's nice if it if it's girl power, mm-hmm. but it's it's not about that. It's just about like being able to express yourself freely within your like sexuality without I think yeah, the confines exactly. of somebody else like putting like an oppressive measure on it. Yeah. Um also, I just want to have a disclaimer right now. I should have done this earlier because of all the awkward shit I've said already. Mom, stop. Just stop listening right now. Stop. That's my disclaimer. Mom, this is not your episode. Just skip over it. You can listen to the next one. <laughs> I You should not listen to this episode unless you want to have a very different relationship with me. <sighs> okay. Anyway, now that that's out of the way. my Yeah, I, I have a very open relationship with my mom. I don't talk about everything, but I, I feel that I'm not embarrassed about this. Um, we both... I'm sure we, that... We uh, both watched the first 50 shades of gray movie together we both read the books around about the same time we both made jokes about the red room so like i think i'm fine mom you're okay (laughs) maybe not maybe not maybe you do want to pause mom it's fine okay so my pick for is it good or was i horny did i say this you didn't give the title already said this oh um is called portrait of a scotsman by evie dunmore it was published in 2021 by Penguin Random House, and it is the third book in the League of Extraordinary Women series. Um, so what was? Let me just see what the first book. The first book was Bringing Down the Duke, and the second book is called A Rogue of One's Own. Yeah. Um, I liked the first book. Like the first book was cute. Yeah. The second book was like, eh. so we have a really cute okay. story about how we ended up on these books. So I really had loved the Bridgerton series. So when it first came out and that was what, early 2020? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we were still in first quarantine. So early 2020, I think when it first came out. And then um, for my... Oh no, was it 2021? I don't remember. I feel like we need to clarify this point. Hang on a second. Because I know we were in quarantine because I brought you your gift, your birthday gift. It would have been maybe Christmas of 2020 it came out. Yeah. It came out Christmas 2020. So the my birthday that followed that was fully, like, BC was in, like, lockdown situation. Mm-hmm. So because I had liked the book so much, Nikki bought me um, the book Bringing Down the Duke because she had seen it. I don't know where you'd saw it, but you'd picked it up for me for my birthday. You saw it. At chapters, yeah, and I was like, this looks exactly up Kirstie's alley yeah. because it's like sounded kind of Bridgerton. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, because I hadn't, by this point, I hadn't read the Bridgerton books and was like, oh, okay, I just really like the series. So to start off with, I was just like, hmm, okay, cool, I'll read it. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. And then I think the second one must have already been out by this point because then I went and bought the second mm. one. And then mm-hmm. I think we yeah. traded because I think I gave you like a co- to like read my copy of the first one. And then yep. in the fall, I hadn't really been paying attention to when the books were coming out. But in the fall, when we were going on our trip to Vancouver Island, when we were on the ferry, I noticed that the book was in the little store. So then I was like, oh my god, it's Nikki's birthday today. I haven't gotten her a gift. So like stealthily <laughs> bought two copies of the book. So I would have one too. <laughs> and gave one to Nikki as well for her birthday um and while i think you were in the bathroom or when you were wandering around the boat i got like everybody to sign a card for you and then we gave you the book and it was lovely um that was also when jordan gave you like a captain's hat right uh yeah i still have it um it's probably gonna (laughs) so i think that's really sweet because we've kind of like read these books together yeah you're right i didn't think about it that way you're right 
Well, and also, I picked this one up because I wasn't sure. I think it was after I just finished reading Eleanor Oliphant, and I was like, I think I mm-hmm. fucking need something a bit lighter. Yeah. <laughs> after Eleanor Oliphant, I also had COVID. So I was like, I cannot handle anything else right now. So I was like, this mm-hmm. is exactly, I literally, I was like, I'm just going to walk to my bookshelf. I'm going to look and see what's there, and I'm going to pick up the first thing that catches my eye. And it was this one. And I'm glad it was because it was actually really good and I like really liked it Mm -hmm. I think I like this one was my favorite out of all three like the first one was real really good too but I like the second one I was kind of like and like in every book it kind of hints at who the next one's gonna be about because each book is about a different character like so there's like a and they're all part of this like group yeah yeah they're all part of like the suffragist yeah (laughs) that (laughs) What you, what you said um so each one each book follows a different member of the group and each book will kind of give a hint as to who's next because like this one um is will be like catriona will be next because they have like a, a whole little scene at the beginning i don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. but i was like oh that's kind of annoying like the, in the second one i was like ugh, i'm not looking forward to the next book because i didn't i just I mean, I don't think Hattie was like in it that much, but I was just like, not, not a fan. But anyway, ended up loving it. Yeah. uh, Oh, yeah. And the other like ones, I was just like, I'm not sure I like this Hattie chick. Um, Mm. I was like, not super keen. But once we were into her story, I was like, she's pretty cool. Yeah, because she was a very like one dimensional character. But it, it's kind of good in some senses because you don't you don't need to know about these periphery people. Yeah. But then you they get their own story, so then it's like, oh okay, like, and you get hints at their character, but you really don't need to know that much about them. Yeah. Um. Um. Also, fun fact: it's on almost every like the series is on almost every list like to read if you enjoyed Bridgerton. So yeah. if you enjoyed Bridgerton, you will enjoy these. Um, I think they're also really cool because it's like feminist romance in that, yeah. well, they're obviously talking about the suffragette, the suffragettes. So it's like at the very beginning, oh, I guess it was like, what, like eight, this book is like 1870 something. Uh, this one starts in 1880. 1880. Yeah. So it's like they're fighting for women's rights at the time. They want the vote. They want the Women's Marriage Act to be revoked. So it's like an interesting juxtaposition it's definitely to towards like the beginning of like starting to push like the suffragist movement yeah so there you go if you liked bridgerton you'll like this book and there was a really interesting where did i where was i how did i find it i can't remember but i was like just googling the book to see if there was like any news about it or anything and or to, if i could find like any interviews with the author and there was like an entire like book club package so it was oh, like cute. i know it was like a like little interview with the author it was like like kind of where the inspiration for the book came from all that kind of stuff so if you're interested and you you read the book and you want to know more or if you end up reading the book and you want to know more i think it's on evie dunmore's website you can find it so also interesting is that she loosely based the story on the greek myth of persephone and hades and i think it does actually talk about that myth in the book it does but if you don't know it's The premise of that story is Hades becomes obsessed with Persephone. He tricks her into like being, he ends up kidnapping her to be his queen of the underworld. And she hates him like fucking duh at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but then she ends up falling in love with him, I guess. 
I don't know much about Greek myths, but I think it would be really fun if we would if we do an episode like about reimaginings about Greek myths. Yeah, because I know that there's been a few like books in the last few years that are like based off of Greek myths. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be really cool. Okay, so before I get too much further, let me read the back here. London banking heiress Hattie Greenfield wanted just three things in life. One, a claim as an artist. Two, a noble cause. Three, marriage to a young lord who puts the gentle in gentlemen. Why then does this Oxford scholar find herself at the altar with the darkly attractive financier Lucian Blackstone, whose murky past and ruthless business practices strike fear in the hearts of Britain's peerage? Trust Hattie to take an invigorating little adventure too far. Now she's stuck with a churlish Scot who just might be the end of her ambitions. When the daughter of his business rival all but falls into his lap, Lucian sees opportunity. As a self-made man, he has vast wealth but holds little power, and Hattie could be the key to finally setting long-harbored political plans in motion. Driven by an old desire for revenge, he has no room for his new wife's apprehensions or romantic notions, bewitching as he finds her. But a sudden journey to Scotland paints everything in a different light. Hattie slowly sees the real Lucian and realizes she could win everything as long as she is prepared to lose her heart. It's just so good. I love this book. Yeah. So... I thought I wasn't going to like Hattie as much as I did, but I think she ended up being a really interesting character because they just, um, the author describes her as having, now I can't remember what they called it in the book, but it's dyslexia, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. So she basically like jumbles like letters and words and, mm-hmm. and numbers. And Which okay. is why she thrives in the arts. Yeah. Too. And she like, basically they tried to get her tutor because her family is very business oriented her brother and her sister talks about them being very smart and business minded and they all kind of like talk down to her and disrespect her because she's not like that Mm -hmm. which i think is unfair because she is it seems like she is very emotionally intelligent and obviously she's an an excellent artist Mm -hmm. so she's still intelligent just in a different way yeah. Anyway, it's just annoying that her aunt is like, oh, like they they treat her like an idiot. They yeah. And she thinks she she they treat her like an idiot so much that she ends up thinking that she's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like, and I think it becomes clear over the book that she's actually very emotionally intelligent, and she is a very good artist, and she she even like she still reads, like she still is knowledgeable about art and all of the things that she's passionate about. But no one will give her the time of the day because they like because of her dyslexia she they think that she's dumb yeah it just takes her longer to read things yeah exactly um and all like also same like who doesn't who isn't bad at math okay so basically the story the story is that she goes to this lucian blackstone guy's house because he has amassed a large collection of art Mm -hmm. and he well she goes there by herself once and ends up kissing him or he ends up kissing her I think he ends up kissing her and she's like he ends up kissing her because he thinks that she is like oh yeah that's right she's a prostitute Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. she is not yes she's there to see the gallery on her own yeah she's there to see a specific well she actually was supposed to be there for a tour but then it turns out the tour was cancelled yeah um so she's scandalized by this because apparently you're not allowed to kiss in nope like 19th century England so then he like becomes kind of attracted to her 
and decides to like hold another tour of his art collection and she's there with her mother and like a bunch of other society people and they meet again somehow by chance in front of this art that she's trying to see and she leans in for a kiss and everybody sees it because this guy is like obsessed with technology and he has two-way mirrors in his house so everybody sees her lean in for a kiss. I don't even think they actually kiss at that point. She just leans in and like she's fucked basically. They have to marry now because she had yeah. the balls to lean in for a kiss. Whew. Like that's kind of the one thing that like upsets me about historical romances is that it's like all of this shit and it's like they have to get married in order to do anything fun. Deeply and, um, upsetting. My book does not have that though. Ooh. Ooh, exciting yes. okay that's good to know and i mean obviously like and she's being very she's doing that on purpose to show you what it was like back in the day mm-hmm. the author i'm sorry is doing that on purpose yeah basically and when you get married in the 19th century doesn't matter how rich you are or if you own property everything like everything you own becomes your husband's And as well as you, you also become your husband's property. So that's what they're talking, like, that's what they're trying to abolish in the books. I wonder if they'll ever get to that point. They still haven't up to this book. So this is the third book, but I know there's at least one more book. They don't get, like, voting rights or anything like that until way later. So I don't. Yeah, isn't it like 23, 1923? There's definitely a two um, because it was after the First World War. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she ends up having to marry him. Her father basically, and like the most disgusting part is that like they like negotiate for her essentially. Well, yeah, because she needs a dowry. They have to sell her, and she has to come with like the father essentially sells her. Yeah, and gives the gentleman money for yeah. Yeah, I think that that's kind of why Hattie seemed like a bit airheaded, fickle. In, yeah, in, in the other because like all they mm-hmm. talked about was that like she likes to dress nice and she has nice clothes Mm -hmm. and she has the fashion sense she's the fashionable one of the group she's also very romantic and i think that is interesting as well because and i didn't bring this up when we were talking earlier about romance novels but i think romance novels also have an impact on girls which i think i that's why i like these ones too is that they're a bit more realistic but I think romance yeah. novels have an impact on young girls because it's like, this is how it's supposed to be. But it's never really as perfect as the books. And there's like always no. a lot of stuff that you have to work on in a relationship. So I think that she kind of has that mindset, a romance novel kind of mindset when she's thinking about how her marriage is going to be. Um, so then this this ends up happening to her and she's just like completely shattered. Like she she is... A mess because she's this is not how she imagined her marriage going mm-hmm. and then she there's the scene where she's talking to lucy and lucy's the head of the suffragette the suffragist movement mm-hmm. and she's kind of saying like i only was supporting the cause because i thought that it was you know the thing to support kind of or like she mm-hmm. was like it seemed like the best cause for me to support because i'm yeah. sure like a lot of women back in that time all, all had a lot of like charitable causes that they worked towards that was a thing that high society did yeah they had charities that they helped support mm-hmm. and donate money to but i think she probably uh migrated to that one more so because like she was one of the first 
I I'm, I know that she's based like she's a fictional person, but she was one of the first women admitted mm-hmm. to Oxford College. Yep. So that was probably like just a given that that's what she would be supporting. But mm-hmm. she's saying to Lucy, like, I never really understood what we were fighting for until it happened to me. Yeah. So I'm really glad that she like ended up having that perspective. But it's also like a very privileged thing to be like, oh, this is just a fun thing for me to do on the weekends. Or this is just a fun thing for me and my friends to do. That's like, yeah charitable but it's never gonna affect me but then when it actually does that's when you realize like oh shit like this is a problem Mm -hmm. um but that being said so she has that bit of a moment but then so lucian blackstone is like he came from poverty essentially and he made a bunch of money and now he's like rich so he's new money which is like a (gasps) so yeah it's like a problem (laughs) in 19th century england and so he that's basically why he wanted to marry her was because she was is the daughter of a very well-known banker and that'll give him political clout anyway so he ends up like right around the beginning of the book he ends up purchasing a mine up in scotland and he has to get it all sorted out so they travel to scotland and that's where she sees all of the women who are working in the mines and also being home like being homemakers so basically all of these women are working just as hard as the men they're working the same hours as the men they're getting paid less than the men and then they're also expected to go home and raise the children cook the meals clean the house like do all the homemaking stuff as well as work because like the men are getting paid so little that they the women also need to work Mm -hmm. so i i really liked that part of the book too because not only was it showing because i think a lot of the times in these romance novels it shows like the upper echelon of society and you know like the bridgertons the dukes the duchesses the counts all that kind of stuff but it never really shows like how how life was for the lower class and so then it brings that she is like then she decides to like have a suffragette chapter out there she's like working towards getting workers rights for the women And she says at one point, she's like, the women should be paid for all of the home labor they do as well. And I'm like, hell yeah, they should. Because even today, like women are still doing the majority of the house labor and not getting paid a dime for it. I read a statistic the other day about um, breastfeeding and the amount of hours that you do breastfeeding. You don't get paid for that. Nope. And, like, you're keeping a child alive. And, like, the hours was staggering. Mm-hmm. How many hours you sit while, like, doing that. Like, I was, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the way it should be. Like, and it is, like, yeah. when I was not working during the pandemic and Evan still was, like, I was still busy all day. And we had a one-bedroom apartment. Like, mm-hmm. cleaning, cooking, like, feeding the animals like making sure like everything was in order like it's a full-time job and that's why my house looks like a fucking mess is because we're both working full-time jobs and Mm -hmm. we're so exhausted by the time we come home at the end of the day to do anything about the the house labor so i just liked that she brought she brought that element of like the the classes because so yeah, often real world yeah because so often like you don't hear about that yeah and i mean i think both the characters i think like she and lucian both are like his he's there basically to make the mine safer and there ends up being like a mining accident while they're there and it turns mm-hmm. out like at the end like her his family was killed 
in a mine a mining accident because the person who owned the mine was trying to cut costs and mm-hmm. was doing things unsafely and that's how his mother and his sister were killed yeah so heavy heavy stuff but let's pivot right into not heavy stuff and say that my only criticism of the book is that it took too damn long to get to the spicy stuff <laughs> Which, oh God, like I understand some buildup. Like there was definitely some buildup in the in the first one, like bringing down the Duke, because there was like that one scene where she was like in the alcove and he had his hand up her dress and it was like super steamy and sexy, but nothing actually happened. But you were still like kind of sweating a bit by the end. Yeah, um, but- I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> But this one, it was like too much of a slow burn. Okay, we all know what we're here for. Just give it to me. Just give it to me. That's all. You, we yep. all know what I want when I'm reading this book. Yeah. And I did feel that he like was trying to be like super respectful and being like, yeah, okay, well, I have a bit of a reputation kind of situation and like, I need to take it slow. We've ended up in this situation where we're now married. I'm going to be a very gentlemanly about it because um, you already think that I'm like this rough person, but definitely it took a minute. And that's where sometimes I feel that these books where they're trying to like have historically accurate elements Mm. and then like that to me is just where I'm like, I I really respect that because it makes me respect the character more. Yeah. But I honestly, I'm like, that, I don't know if men would have been that respectful during that time that, about their property. Because, yeah. like, that's what women were considered. Mm-hmm. But I understand it's a historical fiction novel. Like, it's not going to have all of those bits in it. And I do feel that they're doing, like, a really good draw- job of, like, reclaiming almost history in a sense. And, like, making it our own so, like, we can take, like, more of a joy in it. Where, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do understand it, but it's just like also yeah. give us the sexy stuff. Yeah, that's a- another thing I wanted to point out as well was that um a lot and a lot of the things that happen in all of these books because it's meant to be feminist, I am skeptical that it, it would have actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like I do feel that this one was a little more realistic than A Rogue of One's Own. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what where I was just going to say. Just like this one's a bit more. Yeah. Because like she doesn't want to be married because of the Women's Marriage Act. So they just mm-hmm. like are engaged, I guess, indefinitely. Yeah. Anyway, I still don't think people would have been cool with them, but whatever. Um, where was I going with? Oh yeah, it took too long to get to the sexy stuff. But I did find it interesting because like the first technically like technically the first sex scene, like they definitely had a lot of like sexual tension like mm-hmm. leading up, but it was like literally almost three quarters of the way through the book before the first actual sex scene happened. But the first actual yeah. sex scene that happened, like there was no penetration. It was just about her pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yes, girl, get it. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, which I have a because again, very minimally does it ever happen. Yeah. Um, and whenever I read books and there is a focal point of and like traditionally we are also reading a lot of heterosexual re- relationship books mm. for those when it's just like focus on like the female. Mm. Mm-hmm. Give it to me because it's something that is just not represented in media yeah. overall mm-hmm. enough. And I I can understand in a way, sure, you don't want to show that. But but why is it okay to show the men? Like, why is that fine? Jesus then? fucking Christ. Bridgerton just managed it a couple weeks ago and yeah. it was great. Yeah. I nearly, like, lost it. 
when we saw Jonathan Bailey's head pop up between Simone Ashley's legs. <laughs> I and I know sorry, I am speaking the actors names there. Um Anthony between Kate's legs. Oh my god. Yeah. I was like hose me down. I'm on fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So like it's like that's what I mean. It's like it's fine for shows and stuff to show like I don't, I don't know. It's like whenever a man is writing a sex scene too, it's like the, a, a man touches a woman and she she orgasms and I'm like, okay, like I'm so sure, buddy. Like clearly he has never actually yeah. achieved that. <laughs> exactly. So or it's like It's always so sus. Whenever I'm reading a book that's sorry, written by a man and there's some sort of like sex scene in it, and yeah, I'm just like dude you have never done this like and her breasts are always ginormous and her waist is always tiny like <sighs> yeah yeah anyway i just enjoyed that and there's a quote at the end of the book that i'm going to get to that directly correlates to that however that being said it did take a long time to get there but the sex scenes were fire i i really like her sex scenes like in all of the books they're great mm-hmm. super spicy i'm gonna give you can feel free to use this measurement if you'd like. I don't know if you used your own measurement, but I'm going to give the sex scenes four spicy eggplants out of five. <laughs> it's like a flame eggplant. Yeah, I literally had that in my note uh, that was on my phone, but I didn't put it in my notes notebook because I'm not that good at drawing. Okay. Yeah, and the only other thing that I like wasn't so sure about, and I'd like to get your opinion on it as well, was the ending because so spoiler 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 if you don't want to know what the ending so she ends up legally separating from lucian and going to live like in an artist's colony i guess and teaches art and it's i understand where the author was going with that because like she needed to find herself in order to be like in a relationship and that makes total sense to me i just feel like by that point they were in love and they both knew that they were in love with each other so why couldn't they have worked something out? Like, why couldn't they have stayed married? Well, why did they have to be legally separated? Like, that just felt like it was, like, too far in the other direction. But maybe you have a different thought. Okay. So I feel like the legal separation had to fit in with, like, where the book is really, like, flowing with, like, how feminist it yeah, is. Yeah. And I get that. And I love and respect that they put it in. But at the same time, I do feel maybe it wasn't necessary. Like, mm-hmm. um, he could have just said... Like I, we I will legally like we oh. we will we will separate in all of the factions, mm-hmm. but I would like to win you over at some point. Yeah. So just in like regards of like reputation, and I figured that in the book it was kind of like on the down low, so maybe not everybody knew that they had like legally separated. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe I got. So yeah. kind of like yeah. they were respecting that in a lot of ways, but yeah. I feel that there was other ways to have done it. Um. Also, you could definitely tell that they both loved each other, but. I can understand where she's like, I need you to woo me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but, I, yeah, I'm fine with that part. Yeah. yeah. When I got to like the end of the book, I was reading it and I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I was like flicking ahead because then I was like, that's like book club questions. That's the author's notes. Mm-hmm. What is happening? 
because this is this can't be resolved in three pages yeah yeah so when i did finish this book i was frustrated Mm -hmm. i was unhappy i understand it but it's almost like i feel like i need like a second epilogue like yeah I need yeah. like that like rounded out chapter that we can get and maybe the, we'll see them in the next book but I doubt it because they can't she kind of moves on to the next set of characters. Yeah. I just it unsettles me when I don't know what the next bit is. Mm. Yeah. And I understand that that's the same with like some of the Bridgerton novels. Um Julia Quinn actually has written an entire book that she explained a little bit about like the pa- the Bridgerton parents story. But then it also gives a second epilogue for each of the novels. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So people do get that extra bit that they um, were kind of looking for, yeah. which is kind of nice because mm-hmm. then they get to know like the full, like the, I feel like after I like listened to all those, I was like, ah, oh, this is a w- more rounded out story than, than before. Mm-hmm. Well, not that it wasn't like, yeah, it's <laughs> not that it's necessarily needed, but it answers a lot of the questions that p- people had. And I could definitely see the, the perks and having that overall book i thought was fantastic but just the ending for me just didn't quite it didn't fit maybe it didn't fit for me i felt it was rushed and Mm. i hate a rushed ending Mm -hmm. yeah that's like my biggest like i'd say pet peeve about certain books is when there's a rushed ending Mm -hmm. and i did feel that with this one but overall like really did love the book yeah yeah and it was like mostly set in scotland so it was kind of nice to see that like historical representation and to see something that's not just happening within like the upper tiers of society, you're actually seeing like mm-hmm. how like people actually function, how like the people of that country really did function. Because when you're thinking of all of these people, it is kind of like the current like one percent. It's all the landed gentry and mm-hmm. who are listed in like Burke's Peerage books. Like those are like what you're seeing in all of these like historical romances. And I get it. There's all the glitz and the glam, but I at some point would love to see a novel that's written about two like working class, two like like quote unquote regular people who I don't know just fall of you can still have romance at whatever level of like society you're in it just would need to be slightly changed but that's where like where do we get that like source material for to like help aid in writing that books mm-hmm. and like yeah but it would be interesting to see something like that because i think that you can still have all the twists and turns that you could generally have in like another book mm-hmm. i do have a lot of thoughts on that um <clears throat> of what i would like to see <laughs> Side note, you should listen to slash read um, this time next year. I can't remember who the author is right now, okay. but I listened to the audiobook last year and it was so, it was pretty cute. You'll, you would like it. And it just made me think of it because you're saying normal people and this girl, like it kind of is like both because like the guy is like doing really well in life and she's doing like, she thinks she feels like she's doing shitty and mm-hmm. they were born on the same day, like a few minutes apart. And he like, Anyway, they were born on New Year's Day and... Oh, I know what this is because then his parents got money yeah. because he was he was like the New Year's baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've picked up this book at some point. It was good. It was cute. I listened to the audiobook. It was really cute. Um, okay, so the quote that I have... So this is actually a part of the author's note. So it's not actually part of the book, but I just thought it was really interesting and had to do with my soapbox from earlier. So in the book, it actually talks about like, who gives it to her? I think it's her sister or maybe it's her mom. Like it's like a brochure to give to a bride on the like the day before her wedding so that she knows what to expect on the wedding night. So it's under the note entitled Wedding Nights. 
I included the artifact, the art of begetting handsome children in this story to show that some Victorians acknowledged both the existence and the importance of female pleasure in a marriage. As a rule, however, middle and upper class women in particular were kept ignorant about sex until it happened to them. Inspiration for Hattie's wedding night discussions came from novelist Mimi Matthews's blog post, Ether for Every Occasion. <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay. The 1897 edition of a manual of medical jurisprudence reports the case of a newlywed Victorian lady who went into hysterics whenever her husband tried to initiate sex. As a result, the consummation of their marriage was long delayed, according to the report. The difficulty was at length overcome by the administration of ether vapor. She recovered consciousness during the act of coitus, and there was no subsequent difficulty in intercourse. God. (laughs) German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, I know I'm saying that wrong, but... Nietzsche? Yeah. I'm probably also (laughs) saying that wrong. Who spent much time with German suffrage leaders, pondered in The Gay Science, 1882, there is something quite monstrous about the education of upper-class women. All the world is agreed that they are to be brought up as ignorant as possible of erotic matters, and that one has to imbue their souls with a profound sense of shame in such matters. They are supposed to have neither eyes nor ears, nor words, nor thoughts for this and then to be hurled as by a gruesome lightning bolt into reality and knowledge by marriage, precisely by the man they love and esteem most, to catch love and shame in a contradiction, and to be forced to experience at the same time delight, surrender, duty, pity, terror. Thus a psychic knot has been tied that may have no equal. It also exacerbated the power imbalance between men and women on a most personal level, Since contentions around female pleasure exist to this day, I made it a point in the story. I believe romance novels play their part in undoing this legacy. Hear, hear. So apparently they thought that like women's orgasms helped in conceiving children, but yet they still didn't want upper class women to know about like sex or anything like about sex. Yeah. For what? Like for what? Just because some guy in a big church said one day it's shameful to have sex it's shameful to want to have sex it's shameful to want to feel like pleasure yeah any sort of desire keep that locked down yeah and it's interesting too that it was like specifically upper and middle class women Mm -hmm. because like like lower class women would have been living in like one bedroom like like one room cabins some of them so they would have had an education on sex from an early age. Yep. So that's- You would have been brought up in a household with many children. So you were literally going to be in the same the same room as their parents. Yeah. While like- Stuff was happening, which is stuff just- Stuff is happening. A nightmare. Um, <clears throat> anyway. I suppose just- if you didn't know any different. Yeah. But like still. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah, I like, I, I like where she's going with that, which is basically that like- women taking back their pleasure basically i love it here let's do it let's do it ladies sisters doing it for themselves yep (sighs) okay i'm almost done i swear to god okay so bringing it back to the theme i think this good this book is good not just horny it is definitely Mm -hmm. horny but it is good because it has all of the feminist stuff and has a lot of historical stuff and she has all of that stuff in the back of the book talking about where Mm -hmm. she got the inspiration like the true events that inspired the novel so I think we can say this book is good and not just horny. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's not the most amazing piece of literature I've ever read, but it's comforting. 
It's comforting. Yeah. It's easy to read. It's fun. I enjoyed myself. And sometimes that's all a book needs to be. It doesn't need to be friggin' Pride and Prejudice every time. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like high brow literature. I think that some of the best books are the ones that are the easiest to read and speak to you in that moment. Yeah. So if anyone's looking for the recommendation, I would say if you enjoyed Bridgerton, you would like this. Anybody who enjoys historical romance, anybody who enjoys romance in general. Um, yeah. And... If you like romances and you still have like feel like there's stigma around it, you can read this because it's a romance that also is feminist. So there you go. Yeah. Four stars. Sorry that I talked for so long. No, go, no worries. Go for it. Okay, so I am no surprise talking about Bridgerton. And yeah. I am talking about this would be book six Ooh, in the series. Far. Because there's eight eight children. So this is like the third last one. So this is Francesca's story. I didn't even know there was someone named Francesca. So she obviously is letter F of all of the Bridgerton kiddos are named in alphabetical order. Right. So, and we go as far as Hyacinth. So actually talking about like the series as a whole, there's something that like is a bone of contention with my husband. He's like, if it's in alphabetical order, why didn't they do them in alphabetical order? Why do we start with Daphne as D? That's true. Um, You know what? I'm on Joseph's side. And it breaks twice. So it goes Daphne, Anthony, Benedict, (gasps) Colin, Eloise, Francesca, hyacinth gregory so it breaks it at the end again. oh my too. god so, so she's she broke it at the beginning and the end um of the alphabet like pattern why so but why? it's really interesting i don't know why <laughs> um to be honest i think it's because well in some ways gregory is the youngest boy so he's like kind of detached from the other boys and he is kind of like attending university and stuff later on so like by this point hyacinth is out in society whereas he is at school Mm. so i think that's probably why Mm. but um it's very interesting because by the time we get to francesca's story we already had collins and we already had eloise they're the two previous stories to this one Mm -hmm. and all three of them are occurring at the same time roughly overlapping each other okay um which is very interesting and you in all honesty don't hear as much about Francesca in some of the other books like she is there in and out and stuff but she is exactly one year younger than Eloise Mm -hmm. also within the tv series she's not really in the first one very much because she goes off to like learn how to play piano really well with an aunt somewhere else in the country for a while my god what a life so that's what she's doing during like most of the thing because you hear when you like listen to it it's like oh Francesca's already gone off to the country and then she comes back at the very end Mm. in the second series I like looked into it because I was like the girl who plays her is there at the very beginning and then she kind of just drops off well, it turns out the actress herself is actually going to be a lead in a new Netflix series. Mm. So because a lot of like, because with the pandemic and stuff like that, their filming schedule was all kind of screwy. So sometimes they would then have to be like on hold for filming for several days. And they filmed all of the episodes in order too. Mm-hmm. They, by the time it got to like halfway through, she's only in the first four episodes. 
but it's because she then had other Netflix commitments. So mm-hmm. Netflix was obviously going to haul her off because she's the lead in the other show. Mm. So they're obviously going to haul her and put her to the other one. But I am really excited to see her like actually come out in other shows because she's a really like good actress for what we've seen so far. Yeah. Anyway, and I did think that this would be kind of nice to like highlight her little story in some ways because she isn't seen as much in the TV show. Mm. Um, so her story and novel is called when he was wicked (laughs) so um and the version that i have of these books are done by avon books which are under harper collins as well so looking for bridgerton a netflix original series from number one new york times bestseller author julia quinn comes the story of francesca bridgerton in the sixth of her beloved regency set novels featuring the charming powerful bridgerton family now a series created by Shondaland for Netflix. So also, I will point out the dates of these, I'm pretty sure is like, oh, it says right at the very front, um, March 1820. And then because the book is split into two parts. So the next one, I think, is four years later. So it would be um, like April, March 1824. So it's two separate books or it's just two parts? No, it's two, two, two parts in oh, the book. Okay. So there's like the earlier part and then it like jumps forward in mm-hmm. time okay um and there's a reason for that which i'll get to in a second okay so also once i read the back of this i thought the book was going to take a very different turn but <laughs> i will explain that in every life there is a turning point a moment so tremendous so sharp and breathtaking that one knows one's life will never be the same for michael sterling london's most infamous rate that moment came the first time he laid eyes on francesca bridgerton After a lifetime of chasing women, of smiling slyly as they chased him, of allowing himself to be caught but never permitting his heart to become engaged, he took one look at Francesca Bridgerton and fell so fast and hard into love it was a wonder he managed to remain standing. Unfortunately for Michael, however, Francesca's surname was to remain Bridgerton for a mere 36 hours longer. (gasps) The occasion of their meeting was, lamentably, a supper celebrating her imminent wedding to his cousin. No! But that was then. Now Michael is the Earl, and Francesca is free. But still she thinks of him as nothing other than her dear friend and confidant. Michael dares not speak to her of his love, until one dangerous night, when she steps innocently into his arms and passion proves stronger than even the most wicked of secrets. Mm. So. Okay, maybe I should start reading Bridgerton. (laughs) They're good. It sounds spicy as hell. It is spicy. So, okay. So the first part of the book is set a little bit ahead in time. And where I was saying it knits together well with the previous two books is when it's in the second part. Mm -hmm. So... The first part is very small too. And I don't think it's any major spoiler because it is very early on the novel and that's not really what the novel is like super focused on. But Francesca and John Sterling fall in love and he is the Earl of Kilmartin, Hmm. which is in Scotland. So his like earldom exists in Scotland. Um, But they have like a London home and everything and he's very eligible. And him, so John and Michael are cousins and they, their fathers were twins. Mm. And John's father was born 
10 minutes before Michael's father was or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just like there, like this one little blip, if one of them had been born first, it, they would have had a flip in life. But obviously then... Oh yeah, because whoever was born first gets to be the... Mm-hmm. Gets the male title. Got it. So it just so happens that the two are like the only descendants of like the only male descendants kind of situation. Right. But their mothers are really close. So like in the first part of the book, you hear about the mothers, but like um, they're both widows by this point Mm. and the line has already fallen to john Mm. so john's the earl you don't get to like know how he met francesca or anything but i'm presuming it's very kind of like typical for the time they meet at a ball they kind of like court each other and Mm. they get married Mm. and then that's when michael had been off in the military because he essentially is not gonna like Mm -hmm. gain anything he and which like a lot of upper class like second third like heir to something but like they're like the they're gonna end up being once the 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 other people like make descendants and stuff like they're gonna lose like like a, f- a their bunch hold of people that title. have to die before they would get to have the title yeah kind of situation yeah. so um he was in the military and he came back for his cousin's wedding and falls in love with his cousin's bride Mm. so obviously but the two boys they grew up really close because they were actually the only children of their parents um, which is unusual for the time too but they are the only children they are very close and they grew up a lot like brothers Mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. that's all fine so michael has like a huge part within john's life and francesca is very quiet she's like probably the quietest of the bridgerton children too which is also i think why you don't hear a lot about her because she is quite quiet and they do describe like her and eloise as being like complete opposites Mm -hmm. they actually share the same birthday Mm. um they're just born exactly a year apart Mm -hmm. but they like see themselves as almost like counterparts of each other Mm. um whereas eloise is very loud francesca is not so she's a lot more like private about her life so when when she marries john she kind of just like settles into her own little life with him but because he's still very close with michael they also become very good friends and this whole time that they're very good friends he like hides his feelings for her entirely Mm -hmm. so francesca is also a person who likes to go out and walks a lot so when they're in london John is like, I have to a meeting in Parliament because when you're like have mm. certain titles, you're in the House of Lords, yeah. you have a parliamentary role. So he has some meeting with some other politician. So he is gonna go off and meet with him, but he he's not feeling very well, so he goes down to lay down for a nap. Michael and Francesca go out for a walk, and when they come back, the um valet for John is like, I can't get him to rise. He's not like answering the door. Francesca goes up and he's dead. <sighs> oh my god. So immediately then Michael gets the title. Oh yeah. So, but there's a very interesting moment because like obviously he does have feelings for Francesca too. When like this like official person comes from like the House of Lords to like check, he's like, um, we have to ask her if she's pregnant. And Michael's like, no, we're not. Because that is like, she just lost her husband. You're not fucking asking her that. Yeah. Like, and he's very like defensive, but obviously, like she was his friend too. Like, yeah, but it looks suspicious. So, is that what you're saying? No, like he just is like you're not asking her because she's just become widowed. Like, yeah. like get the fuck away. Like, anyway, she admits to him. She's like, "Well, I am pregnant." So this then puts like a hold on him getting the earldom, and he he never even wanted the earldom in the first place. He was like, the earldom was always going to be John's, so he's never had any sort of like passion to get it or anything. So there's a little bit of that kind of like I don't know holding back because he's like 
devast not only is he grieving like his brother essentially mm-hmm. he's also like all of a sudden has thrust this new title upon himself well not yeah so anyway people are really excited because well there's going to be this part of john that's like living on um but she miscarries no oh my god yeah so this book is probably the most devastating in relation like it's not just a historical romance it does have all of that but it also has grief it also has like losing um like miscarriage and stuff it's a lot heavier yeah and i feel kind of bad because this is spoiling but it all happens within the very first beginning part so i feel like it's not that much of a spoiler because with it by the end of the second chapter john has already passed away so like mm. it's very quick mm-hmm. i really like in the sense like he is very honorable towards her even though he's not like has no like kind of like like claim to her i hate using that like Mm -hmm. but like he is like familiarly connected to her but he is like almost like territorial Mm -hmm. um and protective so obviously she then loses the baby they at one point i think he's like then called over because he still kept his bachelor lodgings by this point he hasn't moved into the house because he's just like well it's all john's things like i don't want her to like have to move out of like their rooms and things there's a lot of complicated emotions going on and eventually when she loses the baby he doesn't know what to do um the like uppity man from the government comes back again and is like wants to like his like needs to see the sheets and like to almost like prove that she has miscarried it's just kind of like horrible that they would need that like proof Mm -hmm. yeah so there's like a few things that are really awkward but he all of a sudden is just like i can't deal with this and decides to like leave and go live in india okay yeah it's bizarre but i think he ends up getting like some sort of like governmental like position he just was like i need to not deal with this which in a lot of ways francesca like appreciates that because she's been living as like the countess of kilmartin for like two or three years at this point so she knows how the estate is run so almost by losing her husband but by getting all of this like responsibility because he like says this is now your responsibility can you please take care of this on my behalf so she does so it gives her like something to focus on for a long time but he lives in india for four years so like quite a stint of time Mm -hmm. um and then all of a sudden he just decides his time is up and he's coming home so he comes back and then that's like well when he comes back that's the start of part two right and by this point she's like i want a baby so i need to be looking for a husband Mm -hmm. so she comes back to london early he doesn't tell anybody he's coming back and they like bump into each other in the library because she didn't tell anybody that she was coming down to london either so none of the house is prepared and like hasn't been heated and stuff so anyway they bump into each other in the house and it's a bit of a shock because a neat thing about the books is if you read all the books like we know from like watching the tv shows that penelope is lady whistledown Mm -hmm. but when you're reading the books those who read them at the time they only found that out in colin's book so that's uh, that's for the fourth book Mm -hmm. when they then find Mm -hmm. out so up until that point the beginning of every chapter is like a segment of lady whistledown's like report and it tells you a date and then like tells you a little snippet and then keeps on going so then every book after colin's book so which is only at this point it's only um francesca or eloise's book at the beginning of every chapter has something different so in each of them changed too which is kind of sweet from then on it's all kind of different Mm -hmm. let's see after um so chapter three i love him madly madly truly i would die without him from the countess of kilmartin to her sister eloise bridgerton one week after francesca's wedding 
So that was her saying that she couldn't live without John. Mm. So some of them are so sweet. Like, I'm sorry I haven't... Oh, so this is chapter six. I'm sorry I haven't written. No, that's not true. I'm not sorry. I don't wish to write. I don't wish, wish to think of. From the Countess of Kilmartin to the new Earl of Kilmartin, one day after the receipt of his first missive to her, torn to bits, then soaked with tears. So, like, it gives you, like, this little tidbit of what they were saying to each other. And then if it was actually sent to one another, there's one where they, like, it, at two different times they have written notes to John. And then, like, they're both, like, unsent. One was burned over a candle. Like, mm. um, one was torn up. And it's mm. just kind of neat to, like, see that. um, Because it's just giving you, like, a little, like, tidbit. And obviously, like, in chapter five, it was, like, his little description of arriving in India. So then chapter six is her, like, then trying to respond, but she doesn't actually respond to him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's very sweet to include those, like, little tidbits. And they're included the whole way through. Um, And some of them are about, like early on stuff some like it, it's very sweet though yeah it's cool yeah like and this second one says first draft never finished never sent like it's kind of sw- like it's very neatly done and it's at the beginning of every chapter that they have this too which is yeah i just like it because it's like obviously julia quinn felt that she couldn't really like continue the lady whistle down stuff yeah this is something different but it's still unique to each book now like yeah um there's something slightly different when it comes to hyacinth's one um, Gregory's one's pretty cool too. Um, it's like the heroine of this novel like finds out that she like blah blah blah. Like it's kind of like it gives you an indication as to what's gonna happen within that next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, wherein she finds out like blah, blah blah. It's kind of that's cool. A neat little trick. Yeah. yeah. Then they're kind of like obviously we still know that Michael has feelings for Francesca, but she is like she then tells him, "I'm on the marriage hunt." I'm looking for a husband. I want to have babies. But she's also very much like, I'm scared because I don't know if I can have ba- I, I can have children either because I tried with John for like two years and mm-hmm. you can see how well that turned out. So like there's it's a lot of like guilt with her too yeah. and like heartbreak. And she never fully in that time because usually from what my understanding is you spend like six months in full mourning mm-hmm. and then you try, which is all black and then you transfer to half mourning, yeah. um, which is like lavenders and greys um which i was like jesus christ my whole wardrobe is mourning um yeah yeah so like the first thing that she goes to like out in society once michael is back and she's like in society again she wears she decides to wear this blue dress so then rumors start flying oh my goodness she's like on the marriage mart and like obviously her sisters and sister-in-laws like spread the word she's on the lookout for a new husband so then there's some cute little instances where obviously like Michael is part of the like men's club and there's like a really like horrible moment where like this like shitty dude who's like a little bit drunk comes up and is like, oh, I hear that she's like got a double dowry. Um, and he's like, well, like they basically because he is like also like her closest male living relative and so is her brothers mm. because like um she he's the next in line. Um, he has a certain responsibility to like to her mm-hmm. and to like look after her. Mm-hmm. So he was saying, no, I'm going to take care of her. And then this other guy was like, well, actually, I already spoke to her brother and he's also going to provide a dowry. So there's a double dowry, which makes her like even more desirable right. because she now has like a double fund going for her head um that's annoying so there's like anyway but yeah yeah. (laughs) and the day after the ball too because this is like later on like the day after the ball um earlier on their whole like drawing room is just like 
filled with flowers and Francesca comes down and is expecting there to be like a lineup or like a gaggle of women outside and there's all of these flowers for her and she just like really wasn't expecting it because she's like well Michael's this like hotshot rake who like woos all of these women he's still his reputation has still like preceded him from the four years previously sorry I'm giving like way too much story here and not enough like thing but it's just basically so I can get to the sexy point I'm enjoying it so then I can't really remember exactly what happens oh yeah sorry I was talking about when he's at his club and he like flips because um this dude who is married is like making all these like grotesque comments he's not even after her because he's like oh well if i didn't have my wife you know i would be like coming after her Mm, and stuff charming basically for the dowry um but he says something about oh well like francesca having an opinion and the grotesque dude is like well i don't ask the opinion of a horse i'm gonna buy or something like that like (sighs) and michael like then like pins the guy up and is like what the fuck did you just say like is all like super protective and there's something about that Mm. that like they call like the alpha male type thing within books there's something about that so that is kind of like Mm -hmm. yeah i like that um maybe that's just like like um you know fighting for you like kind of situation like i like i think in some ways it's like a respect thing yeah (laughs) yeah but there is like a respect thing there. Somebody is not respecting the person that you have feelings for. You're gonna like, mm-hmm. like even I like you talk should. about with like if somebody I can hear like talking about Joseph in like any sort of bad light. I'm like, what? Who would ever talk about Joseph that way? Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen very often. So <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, but then he bumps into at the club, Colin is there. And Michael is like, of all her brothers, Colin is the one that I feel like looks right into my soul and knows mm-hmm. if anybody's gonna pick up that I love Francesca, it's gonna be Colin. Mm-hmm. Um so he's like a bit like oh, I do not want to be in this situation. This is not good. Um and he's like, Why don't you marry her? Like, what's the problem? <laughs> sure. There's always that one person who like speaks. Yeah complete speaks the truth speaks the truth but also just like the sense like the the word the person with common sense it's like it's not that hard yeah just do it and he's like there's nothing illegal about it yeah you can marry her yeah so that like plants the seed in michael's head so then i can't remember exactly what happens but there is like a moment where they kiss Mm. um without giving too much away there is a moment and francesca flees to scotland the next day there's a lot of fleeing in this book she can't cope with her feelings and stuff like that yeah she like feels like it's dishonest to her deceased husband and like there's a lot anyway some other things pass and then i think michael goes back to his club and then like bumps into colin again and he's like well i just proposed today so you know what why don't you just propose to her and like get it over with like why haven't you done that already um and then michael's like oh has anybody told francesca and colin is like literally it happened this afternoon so no probably nobody's told her and my mom is now in all of these wedding planning stuff so she's probably gonna forget so he's like well somebody needs to tell her Mm -hmm. so he then goes to Mm -hmm. to tell francesca Mm -hmm. that his her brother is engaged yeah yeah let's see this is actually around where this is the book that I read. We we had a discussion a couple weeks ago with like our friends about romance novels because I was like digging deep into Bridgerton and that was when I read a section. It was from this book was the one I read to you guys. Um, I did have a note of what chapter I was reading it from. So my piece of paper over here. <laughs> For context, listener, Kirsty has just ran into her kitchen and she's running all the way back. 
to get a piece of paper. Okay. <laughs> I wrote chapter 12, meeting with Colin at end. Chapter 13, first slash second question mark, gallant moment. Um, chapter 15, second chat with Colin going to Scotland. So there we go. I know that like chapter 16 is probably, God, I should have done this, put my markers in here. So see with these like little like missives, like back and forth, they, I, I told was at the beginning of the different chapters. Mm -hmm. So at chapter 14, did Francesca say that she misses me or did you merely infer that? From the Earl of Kilmartin to his mother, Helen Sterling, two years and two months after his departure for India. Mm. So then the next chapter is his mom and she like doesn't answer the question. So then at chapter 16, but as you have written, Francesca is managing Kilmartin with admirable skill. I do not mean to shirk my duties, and I assure you, had I not such an able stand-in, I would return immediately. From the Earl of Kilmartin to his mother, Helen Sterling, two years and six months after his departure for India, written with a muttered, she never answered my question. <laughs> With like, and so then you have to think, oh, what did he ask her again? And it was like, oh, does yeah. Francesca miss me or did you merely infer that? So he, his mum didn't reply to that. Yeah. But obviously he wants to know, does she miss me? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I thought that was cute. That is cute. So she's in Scotland. She's been doing a lot of wandering around the hillsides and stuff. And then sure, Michael has obviously gone up to Scotland. And at one point the like, butler or whatever is like you have a visitor and she's like oh a visitor and he was like well not precisely a visitor my lady and she's like michael it had to be she couldn't say she was surprised not exactly she had thought he might follow her although she'd assumed he'd do it right away or not at all now after the passage of a senite she'd reckon she might be safe from his attentions so obviously like a bit of time has passed mm. before he actually comes up ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba. so he like she goes into the room too and he like says her name without even turning so he like senses she's there which there's something about that too that's just kind of sweet mm. um he is going there with the explicit intention of seducing her because he's like if i seduce her and get her pregnant or even the fact that i've had sex with her and seduced her in some ways she has to marry me which buddy that's it's not the best way to go yeah. around that problematic. problematic yeah but however i have to say that through his like seducement he does say um i need you to say yes to this or i'm not going to continue mm, okay so he, he does gets it, he gets consent at several moments um and at one point he starts this little thing where he's like michael yes or michael no like oh boy <laughs> spicy <laughs> yeah um which is kind of nice oh i don't know where to start reading um he looked amused by her actions okay so he tells her shut the door so she goes and shuts the door eventually shuts the door um but once her fingers left the doorknob she scooted around him and into the room setting a more comfortable distance and an entire seating group between them so she puts a bunch of furniture between them <laughs> He looked amused by her actions, but he did not mock her for them. Instead, he merely said, I have given matters a great deal of thought since you left London. As had she, but there seemed little point in mentioning it. I hadn't meant to kiss you, he said. No, she said too loudly. I mean, no, of course not. But now that I have, now that we have, she winced at his use of the plural. He wasn't going to allow her to pretend that she hadn't been a willing participant. 
Now that is done, he said, I'm sure you understand that everything has changed. She looked up at him then. She'd been quite intently focusing on the pink and cream fleur-de-lis pattern on the damsk-covered sofa. Of course, she said, trying to ignore the way her throat was beginning to tighten. His fingers wrapped around the mahogany edge of the hepple-white chair. Francesca glanced down at his hands. His knuckles had gone white. He was nervous, she realised with surprise. She hadn't expected that. She didn't know that she had ever seen him nervous before. He was always such a model of urbane elegance, his charm easy and smooth, his wicked wit always a whisper from his lips. But now he looked different, stripped down, nervous. It made her feel not better precisely, but maybe not so much like the only fool in the room. I've given the matter a great deal of thought, he said. He was repeating himself now. This was very strange. And I have come to a conclusion that surprised even me, he continued. (laughs) Although now I have reached it, I am quite convinced it is the best course of action. With his every word, she felt more in control, less ill at ease. But it wasn't that she wanted him to feel badly. Well, maybe she did. It was only fair after how she'd spent the last week. But there was something rather relieving in the knowledge that the awkwardness was not one-sided that he'd been as disturbed and shaken as she, or if not, at least that he'd been not unaffected. He cleared his throat, then moved his chin slightly, stretching his neck. I believe, he said, his gaze suddenly settling on hers with remarkable clarity, that we should be married. What? Her lips parted. What? And then finally she said it. What? (laughs) Not, I beg your pardon, not even the more succinct, excuse me, just... What? (laughs) If you listen to my arguments, he said, you will see that all makes sense. So, that's all fine. And then, all of a sudden, she's like, he halved the distance between us. And then, he halved the distance between us again. (gasps) And he's right beside me. (laughs) So, so (laughs) it, yeah, fan of these. But the very last bit at the end of that chapter is only like two pages later. And he's like, his voice when it came, oh, no, I gotta start higher up here. (laughs) And his hand travelled up her arm until it reached her shoulder. And then one of his fingers traced a feather-like line down the side of her neck. His voice when it came was low and husky. And she felt it right at the centre of her being. Don't you want another kiss? Mm, My god. (laughs) So, then it gets into, like, where he, he, like, has his hands between her legs while she's, like, perched on a table or something. And then they um, screw in that drawing room. Oh, great. Yep. I love it. (laughs) But she still doesn't agree to marry him. Uh Uh-oh. For quite a bit of time, actually. Hmm. So, because, like, look, we're still, we're getting closer to the end here. Yeah. But there's still another steamy sex scene that happens where she takes charge. Oh. And it's fucking great. But she's essentially like fondling herself. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe I can keep that in. <laughs> I don't know why I gave you actions. <laughs> I was like rubbing my hands over my boobs. <laughs> yeah. She, like, at one point, she has her back turned so he can't see what she's doing but she's essentially like rubbing her hands over her breasts and like moaning and stuff and he is like about to lose his goddamn mind on the bed um anyway she like has like a moment of empowerment and i have to say it it's pretty great 
and most of these books don't have well it's interesting because she's that kind of moment yeah she's a widow she's a widow that's she's a widower so that's why she's allowed this moment because at other points um when that like really shitty dude is like talking um about like well um about her like comparing to her a horse and things like that i think another moment where this is maybe the moment where michael snaps is where he's like well like she's already been like broken in Mm. like she knows her way like it's very unusual to have a wife who knows her way around the bedroom <sighs> and that to start with and <laughs> yeah and she does talk about john about how she did feel um he like helped her like explore like how to like be like ha- like less awkward around her body and it's like well that's great um but she definitely has this moment of like because michael like i, I don't really even apart from like on the back of the book where it says he's like an infamous rake like he's known for that and that's why at the very beginning when they go out for a walk she's like michael tell me something wicked Mm. um and he like then tells her but then he always leaves his stories hanging before the the bedroom part he's always just like talking like about like but she's like into it too like Mm -hmm. and he like brings this up later on she he's always like well you wanted me to tell you wicked things like um yeah there's always been that like thrill between us but then like towards the very end they do have like because obviously they get together they do have like a very like um lovely moment of like realizing that in all honesty john loved them so much that he would have wanted them to have found each love other, yeah. and the fact that they found each other makes it even more special mm-hmm. because to start off with i was a bit like mm, how do i feel about this um but i was like no they're like it's not like if you even had a friendship with somebody like they were really close friends and like during that time and it's also brought up in the book like during that time marrying like a friend is rare yeah so the fact that that she did find somebody that she like felt that she was going to spend the rest of her life with but she also made this great lifelong friend alongside him and then ends up marrying him too like there's something very special about it Mm -hmm. there is like some of the tropes of like they end up all wet in the rain and Mm -hmm, yeah that's a good one (laughs) end up in this cottage and stuff like it's quite nice like there's a lot of moments where I'm like, yes, uh, this is great. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed these books. But this one for me, there was just like those like two like ultra steamy scenes. But there is like a lot of like gentler moments between them too. I just really liked that. And rereading it again this week, I've been like, yeah, this is, I really like this one. Mm-hmm. And I do find sometimes that I do like, as much as I do read these for like the smut that's in them and stuff like that, sometimes I do find myself like zoning out of sex scenes but I don't always feel the same with that and I feel like that's maybe more because I find that it's a little bit more sensitive maybe yeah also not written by a dude so like that's another thing like Mm -hmm. whenever I've had sex scenes that are written by a dude I'm just like "Mm, no no thank you yeah very rare to ever find a good sex scene written by a guy for me it's like uh, not necessarily in books because it's like you kind of have to get through them and in order to yeah. know what happens but like for me like I have a hard time watching sex scenes in movies and tv shows and stuff because it's like I mean if it's a good enough sex scene it's like mm-hmm. it's such an intimate moment between two people that it's like you don't want to intrude almost yeah I don't know if and that's where you're that. going with that and I feel but- that that's like when it comes to romance novels I find that that's kind of nice in some senses because they give you these like steamy scenes when they're like 
first together but you don't really get that like later on because you're like well it's becoming more personal but actually i do have to admit they do have a late sex scene um now that i'm thinking about it that is within so with julia quinn's novels i think i mentioned before she's she has these like second epilogues Mm -hmm. i think they were originally released online and then they were re-released as a book and that's where it was like the bridgerton's happily ever after and it has um violet and i can't remember the dad's name his like story and then it has each of the second epilogues afterwards Mm -hmm. um there is a second epilogue for this one too but it's actually included now now the new editions of the book they have the second epilogues at the back of the book and so do all the audiobooks but there's a moment where she like this is also like i'd say 1920 or sorry 1829 so Mm. that's like five years on from where her and michael got together and they still not had a child. And mm. there's like a moment where like she's like saying she's always counting. And the Bridgertons were marvelously fertile. They all seemed to produce exactly the number of offspring they desired. And then perhaps one more just for good measure. Except for Francesca. Oh, and that's sad. yeah, so there is like a hefty, I should have said this at the beginning, hefty trigger warning for like miscarriage and loss and like pregnancy and stuff. And like, not that we like me and Joseph, we want to have kids. Um, and we did try for a little bit, but then I made some different life choices of like going back to school and stuff. So it's just not really been the time. And like my mental health hasn't been that great over the past little while. So we kind of decided to take a step back from it we're not like actively trying if it happened it happened but like anyway Mm -hmm. um so having this not that it was hard but it was nice to see that representation within a book um that not it's not very easy it's not at all to have children and to have just like to think that all of the Bridgerton kids are fertile and one of them Jesus Christ um they end up having nine children Mm-mm, that's too many they're like gliding out at that point oh god like yeah sorry that was a bit yeah but <laughs> I, I liked it like it's true um but then like i like this she has a moment with her mom where she's like well you don't really understand like um but then she has some lovely moments with like her nieces and nephews um okay but there is one bit so they do have children so she shows up and has a baby but they actually end up having they end up having two and the first one is a boy and they name him john um yeah but anyway the i liked having that like second epilogue it's really sweet um that they include those in with the new editions um because they are really sweet to like you get your all like you're kind of like hanging off questions answered um yeah but honestly the book i really do enjoy it I like enjoy most of the series. There are ones that I favor over the others. And I did read a couple reviews on Goodreads. Just I like to see what other people have thought of them. Oh, I forgot to and do I was, that with this book. Oh, well. I was a bit hesitant because like the first few reviews, I'm just going to pull it up. There was one that was like, like the first one is like 2.5 stars. Okay, so the first time I read this book 11 years ago, I didn't like it. Still didn't like it. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. And then the next person is like five stars. This book recounts the age old tale of falling in love with your best friend's girl. Um, but what happens when you get the chance at her hand, albeit with the loss of your best friend through his untimely death? And I'm like, that's like a great way to spin this because that is what the story is to the pinpoint. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very sweet in the sense that he like loved her all along 
And she mm-hmm. loved him as a friend, but she grew to, like, love him for more than that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a really sweet moment when they both, like, realize that they are actually in love with each other. But, yeah. So, I was a little hesitant, sorry, back to the reviews, about, like, oh, how well did this book, like, actually rate? But it has, like, 4.1 out of 5 star ratings on Goodreads, which is pretty it's high. Pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, in all honesty, would give it, like, a 4 star, maybe even a 4.5. Because, like, if I was to, like, rate all of the Bridgerton ones... I picked this one as being one of my favorites, mm-hmm. but um, it also helps that it does have a, like a, it's set in Scotland for like a chunk of it, um, which I'm just like, yay. Um, <laughs> so that's funny. Both of our books were set um, in Scotland, yeah. like our parts of it were set in Scotland and London, um, which is kind of neat. Um, Kilmartin is a fake place. Um, oh, okay. But that's all right. Um, it's set within like the border region. So like within like Southern Scotland, um, which is not where I'm from, but I can appreciate that. Portrait like of the Scotsman I, is a little bit closer to my region. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's like lately there's been so much stuff about Scotland and it's like sexy Scotland, you know? Oh, okay. I don't know if I, I like wrote a note of this earlier because I was like, I can't remember if I mentioned this last time on the podcast. Yeah, the, it's it's getting Scott It's getting Scott in here. Yeah. yeah, we talked about it. <laughs> It's wild. As I was writing down, I was like, I think I mentioned this. Um, seeing all of them, like the covers of them, I instantly scroll past him because I'm like, this is not for me. But I feel like it would be kind of a funny read for us to do. I really want to get our husbands to read one of these. Like, yeah, that's something I would love to get them like maybe on like a special episode we could do where we get them and Jordan, if we can get him convinced too. Um, we get them to read one of the oh. Bridgerton novels and oh. then get them to come on and talk about it and see what their viewpoints on it are because yeah. I think it would be interesting for them to actually read it and hear instead of just being like oh that's like lady porn and stuff yeah, like that I feel like it would be interesting to see their perspective because when I was telling them about like the books well I don't know they seem kind of keen like to be like oh well what like what is the perspective on that Um, yeah I mean they honestly were asking like what about it do we like is appealing yeah because like i mean yeah you can get the ones that are really bad that it's like his desire or whatever he unleashed his desire from his trousers or whatever okay and you know bridgerton leans into that i'm not gonna lie (laughs) they do lean into that and that's fine but i do feel that that's something that's kind of changed within them i've read some of like the bridgerton prequels and they were written like the last one came out and yeah they came out after the like the original bridgerton series yeah and in the latest one that came out they said cock in it. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Kirstie was clutching her pearls. until that point, that hadn't been mentioned at all. It was always like unleashing his desire from his britches and like yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And like, I just have my own little giggle to that. And I'm just like, all right, cool, whatever, moving on. But um, yeah. there is something thawed about like having like a skirt with many layers and having somebody like get up in there. I'm, I'm like, that seems like something that would be like hot as fuck. Maybe yep. I need to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's something like we don't wear that. Like, there's not nothing that appealing about hauling down leggings. Like, no. I love leggings and wear them every day. There's nothing sexual yeah, about you know taking what? off a pair of leggings. You're right. And it's like, always you know you're always okay i'm sorry to break it to any men listening but women do not sleep in lingerie or like those cute no. little teddies or like the little slip dresses nah son not in saskatchewan where it's minus fucking 50 mm-hmm. i'm sleeping in 
my f- like fleece onesie with slippers and probably a toque. So yeah. you're going to have to get through all that. And sorry, it's not sexy. No. But I don't know. And in some ways, I'm very glad that these eras are done because <laughs> getting dressed every day sounds like a chore. Yeah. And but you never have that. to do it yourself. No, that's true. If you had enough money. But see, I wouldn't have been one of those rich people. <laughs> I would have been one of those people that didn't have all that. And still you had to wear all that garb. Um, yeah. yeah. The fact that people in like the kitchens would have to be wearing a corset. No. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like even like Downton Abbey era, they would be wearing a corset in the kitchen. No. That's horrifying to me. Y- yeah. <sighs> but I mean, okay. You know what would be sexy though? Like untying the corset? Yes. That mm. would be sexy. Yeah. Which is why that sometimes appears in lingerie. But also, I don't know how that works. If you want to be wearing that, how do you get that on for fun times to ensue? Okay, well, I can't believe I'm saying this. No, we do not but... have to go into this conversation right now. <laughs> that was more of a personal I... note because I no, can't be arsed with it. I have a corset, okay? Mm-hmm. I, it's fine. I'm a grown woman. I can own lingerie. Yes. And I like wearing lingerie sometimes. It's been a long time, but I enjoy wearing lingerie sometimes. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> justify. <laughs> well, I don't know. Anyway, this is why I told my mom not to listen. Okay, so the corset that I have is like, it's like corset, like bones, but it like mm-hmm. clips in the front like a bra. But it's like, uh, it's like annoying okay. as fuck though, because you have like, it's like 17 hooks that you have to, and yeah. you have to like bend over. Ugh, anyway. So, but, like, you can still buy ones that, like, tie up in the back. I feel like you can, like, twist it around. Oh, okay. You you might lose a nipple. Clearly, I've never worn one. You um, might lose I a did... nipple, but, like, if you if you do it tight enough, <laughs> yeah, I think you can do one it. Off. Yeah. No, I've had a dress that had boning in it, and it had a corset up the back, but I was, like, in the dress, and yeah. I was, like... Yeah, you have to get Like, that was my there. first yeah. prom dress, and my mom had to learn how to strap mm-hmm. me into it, and we... I had, like, no boobs, and mm-hmm. my mom had to pull it so tight that yeah. after I ate the meal, I puked. I think it was because my dress was so tight, like I literally yeah. couldn't eat. And Itty I was like panicking and telling my teachers, I was like, I'm really, I'm not, I hadn't been drinking. Like, yeah, um, because I thought they were going to kick me out, but they were yeah. just like, no, we can tell that you've not been drinking. You're fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Puked I mean, twice, I actually, this- because after I puked, I then went up and did some reels and was dancing, spinning around, and then went off and puked again. Yeah. Bad I idea. Mean, I, fe- I felt the same way like in my wedding dress like I could barely eat the delicious supper because I yeah. I didn't even have the corset I just it was just like the it was boning it's so yeah boning, boning to, like, is horrible hold it up and I like I my stomach couldn't expand enough mm-hmm. to eat and I yeah. had a delicious taco bar and I, I only like I had like two bites of a taco it was sad I, I, I don't even remember eating a taco at your wedding I remember being there but I don't remember <laughs> That's okay. I think you were pretty far gone by that point. Yeah, I was pretty far gone by that point. I think I was really excited about it. I remember being in the lineup and being very excited, but I don't actually remember eating the taco. Um, It was probably one of those things that I was like, Nikki told us that we had to eat the tacos, so I was like forcing Joseph to eat the tacos probably. I was going around and being like, you guys got to eat tacos because like we ordered it for like the midnight lunch and like no one was standing in line. And I was like, everybody Mm -hmm. has to eat a taco because I fucking ordered it for you bitches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyway, this <laughs> was out of... <laughs> um, you can cut yeah. any of that if you feel like that is not 
I mean, we're at two minutes, two hours and 23 minutes right now. So if you feel like it's been a long one, my poor husband is about on death's door starving. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. Anyway, this has been a trip. Yeah. (sighs) Doing weekday recordings is nuts. It's, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Oh my. But yeah, lean in to romance novels if that's your jam. That's all I can say. And I thoroughly enjoyed When He Was Wicked. Um, let me know through Instagram and all other things if you had a different Bridgerton novel that you prefer. Because in all honesty, I really did like The Viscount and Me, which is the second one, which is the Netflix series which is just based off of that one. But they changed the storyline a little bit. But that makes sense because like most romance novels, they kind of follow the same curve. So I understand they had to put different elements in to make it different. Yeah. I also well, nearly did Colin and Penelope's one for this because spoiler alert they end up together but i think even on the front of the book where it says like francesca's story hyacinth's story i think actually on the front of that one it says colin and penelope's story um (laughs) so it tells you but like it was obvious it's coming in that direction but um yeah their one's pretty good too so yeah okay well was it good or is it horny oh um (laughs) you know i think i'm gonna say it was both because there's definitely like horny elements to this novel but i do feel that it's good too like i definitely feel that there's like the storyline's good especially this one with like the kind of like grief and other parts in it there was a couple of bits where i was like oh this is kind of lagging a little bit like they need to like move mm. up the pace a bit but mm. yeah i do feel that like the story was very good and that the spiciness was really good too which makes you feel that it's just maybe a horny book but i mm. feel that it's actually good. I mean, there's just having, horny elements to it, which is good. Yeah. Having heard the story, I mean, I haven't read it, but like, it sounds like it's actually like the point is that there's like a backstory and it gives you a connection to the characters, and it's not mm-hmm. just fucking for oh yeah, three hundred pages. So it's, like, actually, I, a connection yeah. to the characters. I read another um, romance novel the other day, and I'm not joking you. I was like forty. 40- I think I like saw in the little thing it was like 43% of the book read and they had already like screwed four times mm. and I just didn't feel that there was the same I did finish the book but I I if I think I had not much else that I was really like on the go at the time so I was fine just like finishing it off but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would genuinely rate that book as actually being good because so that would be something need... that was just horny yeah just horny but yeah. this I do feel that there's goodness in it yeah yay oh my god well this was an episode for sure (laughs) this is gonna take me five million years to edit (laughs) i'm sorry it's okay i'm so sorry um we love you guys thanks so much for sticking around till the end if you did yep bridgerton hit us up because we definitely uh advertise for you I would like uh, one of those packages the next time you put out another season. That would be <laughs> lovely. It would make my day. I'd probably cry forever. <laughs> um, if you have thoughts on any of these books, if you have thoughts on Bridgerton on Netflix, Kirstie would like to hear them. Yes. Um, email us at dearbearbookclub at gmail.com. DM us on Instagram at dearbearbookclub. And we will stop taking up your time. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys next time. Bye.